This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome board folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we have a very, very interesting guest today, Stacy Brookman, who's going to tell us about the Real Life Resilience podcast that she has. She's a life storytelling expert, and she's really strong on overcoming trauma in a very specific way that I'm going to tease that a little bit and let her tell you down the road. Stace, thanks so much for coming on board. Really appreciate it. Oh, well, Chuck, I am thrilled to be here. Very excited to share this information and so glad you're doing this. Well, it's going to be so much fun. And I'm going to tell you right now that Stacy is going to have a summit. Summit's coming up. And by the time this is published, it's going to be right around the corner. So when you hear this, you want to go down to the show notes and get hooked up with the summit because and I'll ask Stacy more when we get into the conversation. Right now, I'm just going to get some business out of the way. Pardon me. I'm going to talk about our sponsor real quickly, then we'll really listen more to who Stacy is and get into the whole conversation that's going to be so interesting. So Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved, targeted mind science details. You know we love that at Core Brain Journal. As both laboratory and, get this, webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond the standard of care, which is so often guesswork. They also provide multiple training webinars for both the public and for medical providers on how to use that great data effectively in their offices. Check out their website for references and testing details, and take note of this one link that I'm going to give you in just a minute. You can go over there and register for a complimentary test drawing, one of eight different tests that they have, from organic acid tests to mycotoxins to various toxic levels. I won't get into all of them, but you can go and register for one of their tests. And as people supporting us, they're going to give it away, one test a week. It's a very, very good opportunity. So that link is greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal. Why not get over there and do it? Be fun. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about Stacy, and we'll go on down the road. As I said, she is a person who is a life storytelling expert. Again, I'm going to wait and let her tell us about that. And she's a podcaster. So she has, I can tell you right now, she's got the gift of gab. She helps smart, outwardly (laughs) confident women who secretly have low self-esteem issues due to an emotionally abusive partner take back control and begin to develop the resilience they need to be themselves again. So the issue is this whole thing, there's so many, and I see this happen all the time, Stacey, excellent successful individuals, women who are indeed outwardly confident, they understand management, they're perceptive, they're deep, they're sensitive, but they frequently have, they're carrying a burden from their childhood. And we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. So she is producing mm-hmm. this Emotional Abuse Recovery and Resilience Summit. And you can go to stacybrookman.com forward slash summit to see more about that. It's a comprehensive resource for women who are in are getting out of emotionally abusive relationships and the friends and family who do want to help them out to make those transitions in their lives. Her free monthly webinar will give you 
this is underlined with exclamation points, four simple proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story in just seven days. She's a strong believer that life itself is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours either to yourself or to others. I added a little bit on that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Stace, thanks again so much for joining us. So let's talk a little bit. I mean, you're, you're a very deep person. And the issue is, I think for all of us, is how does a person start walking down that path? What sets you in that direction and how did all that come about? Oh, that's a great question. For myself, it was a divorce from a sociopath. Somebody, mm. I don't bat that word around lightly. He was a true sociopath that I found out later that's what he was through a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was a difficult relationship and it got incredibly scary. Mm -hmm. And so when I was going through that, you know, when you're going through divorce anyway, your mind... You, brain fog, you're mm -hmm. stressed, you're, you're probably under chronic stress and have been for years and things start rolling around in your head and, and you just don't, not sure what to do. And in the middle of that time, I started taking memoir class and I thought that was pretty cool. I, I needed a break from constantly worrying about what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. You know, am I going to lose my kids because, you know, he's lying, all the strange things. And in the middle of that, while I was doing that, I found incredible peace. And this is, I, I didn't know about all the research. There's a ton of research that writing your life experiences is incredibly beneficial. It can even boost your immune system, if you can believe oh. that. Oh. It shows uh, higher T cell growth, better liver function, stronger antibody responses, all kinds of things like that. But I didn't know that at the time. And what I discovered was, wow, I... I'm very clear now on what's happening to me. So when you have to find the words for what's happening, the emotions, the things that are happening, you can't hide, you know, when you experience things, your brain can hide them from you, you know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I just dismissed that or it's, you know, it gets jumbled up in your brain. But when you put them down in black and white, you can't deny that's what's happened and you can't deny your part in it. And so I became very clear about, okay, this is how I've, I've allowed this person to traumatize me. I've allowed this to happen. And I found my life theme was not raising my hand from kindergarten on, on into adulthood. Mm. And I said, you know what? I don't like that. I am going to change. And so when you recognize that, and that's another thing that writing does, it helps you to know yourself a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And when you do know yourself better, you can make yourself better. You can change. And that's the beauty of writing your life stories. Well, and a very simple example of that is, I think the more you write, the more opinionated you become. <laughs> because you know yourself better, then you have more and more of a feeling of, look, I definitely am right about this. I've tried it every which way, but loose, and I just can't do this anymore. And, and now I'm opinionated. I mean, there's a certain point where you take yeah. a certain level of internal responsibility, and you just don't let the moss grow anymore. You're just going to go ahead and make it happen. You know, you're facing exactly what's happening in your life. Whereas if you don't write it out, you kind of know that's not good or your brain, like I said, we have, a, as human beings, we have a huge capacity for pulling the, the wool over our own eyes. And when you write down in black and white exactly what's happened, you can't hide from yourself anymore. So it has a certain it's scary for some people to do that, but it's so much better. Every single person that I know 
who has written their life, started writing about their life, you don't have to write a novel, the word clarity comes up. I am very clear now exactly what's happened. And then you can do something about it. So then you did this for a while. When did you then take the next transformational moment? I mean, how far did you, are you writing an actual a specific memoir that you plan to publish? Or did you then, what's your whole writing um, activity like? What's going on there? Well, at the time, well, definitely have not published it yet. But at the time, I wrote for about a year and a half weekly. And I would bring my stories into my class and everybody read their three to five pages each week. They loved my so much because sometimes some of the trauma was just so horrible that you had to laugh. You know, you just had like finding a bug in my car and taking it to the police barracks and what the policewoman said was rather amusing. And so I did that, but I was incredibly afraid when you have a sociopath or a narcissist in your life, they will do every single thing they can possibly do to destroy you. Mm-hmm. And, and mine certainly tried to do that in, in every way. So I have not yet published it. My kids are now almost 18 and 19. So I feel a little bit safer now yeah. to do that. And so I'm, I'm in the middle of finishing that. Getting it done. You know, point of clarification, listeners, she wasn't talking about a cockroach in her car just to get that. No. <laughs> she was Listening. talking about an audio recording device. Okay. Yes. And that was a shock for her because she knew it was bad, but she didn't until she saw that. It's like, oh my gosh, we're in a completely different land here. Exactly. I mean, I mean, he would snuck into my house when we were separated, cut the wires on the heater in the middle of night, in the middle of winter in Rochester, New York, and uh, then called Child Protective Services to say, "Hey, she doesn't. She's not providing heat for the kids." I mean, this these things oh. happen weekly. Oh my gosh are broken into uh, tires slashed. I mean, so I was anxious anyway from being married to a sociopath, but getting a divorce is so much worse. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad I did it. And I got out of that and writing helped me through that. But you know, there are just tons of like uh, Dr. Pinnebaker from University of Texas in Austin. He's done a ton of research and asked people to write about difficult times in their lives. And you know, most people would say, you know, put it behind you or move on with your life, etc. But he has proven and a lot of other researchers have proven that writing about those tough times, writing through those tough times, it has so many benefits. It reduces your life stress, promotes healing. I mean, even physical healing like um, lung function and asthma patients, it's been proven, decreases chronic pain, and it induces more restful sleep, things like that. When, when your body is in physical distress and your mind is in psychological distress, writing really does help. So do you have a specific protocol for when a person begins to write? and how they set about doing it. Do you customize it? How do you customize it? Let's talk a little bit about that thing because right now, I know we have people who are listening to us who are saying, great, okay, what's next? <laughs> All this sounds great, but I can't, I don't think I can do it. I don't know how to do it. Do you have any right. pearls on that, please? Yeah. For, well, first, let me say that this is not your eighth grade English writing. You know, there's nobody going to gig you on grammar or punctuation or anything like that or spelling. And it's definitely not for other people's eyes right now. You can write just for yourself and benefit yourself. Although I help, I tell people they 
should share it because other people would benefit from it. So don't worry about any of that. This is not going to be your first draft or your third draft is not going to be published. It's okay. And you don't have to have structure or anything like that. But what I take people through, and and this is in the webinar, is writing three lists to start with, because you don't really necessarily want to start with, I was born and go through, it's not an autobiography. This is just pinpointing some certain painful moments. So I take people through writing a list of turning points in their life. Simple, just a simple uh, bullet point list, 15 to 20 items. The more you can do, the better. And it can start with, I was born, I was baptized, or I got married, or this happened or that happened. So turning points in your life. What were some of those? And I get them to really think about that. And you might need to think about it over a couple of days and keep adding to that list. And then the second list are a list of desires you've had in your life. Like I had the desire to be a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor when I was in high school. Didn't pan out, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but I had that desire. I had the desire to get married, have kids. Mm -hmm. What desires? And you're probably not going to get as many, but if you can get to 10, that would be wonderful. And again, you might need to think about this over several days and then keep adding because as you put some things down on your list, and it might spark another thought. And these are the foundations. So um, the second one or the third one is a list of conflicts that you've had in your life. So this versus that, like money versus spirituality or family versus work. What are some things that have conflicted you in your life? Some moral things or any type of thing throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to really think on that one. We all have conflicts, so I know you, you know, but if you can get to 10, great. If not, that's okay. Get to, you know, five or eight, as many as you can. And then I ask them to look across all three lists and see if you can find something that a thread that runs through all three of those lists. For me, it was, I didn't raise my hand. I could see when I looked at those lists throughout all three, I could see examples of not saying that's not right not sticking up for myself, my voice being taught that my voice didn't matter. And what we do in childhood affects our how we operate in the world as adults. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was what I was taught and told myself. We make agreements with ourselves when things happen in childhood. And I had made, must have made an agreement with myself that my voice does not matter. And, I, and so I didn't speak up when mm-hmm. things went wrong. And that was a turning point for me, the the biggest one. And that's where I needed to start writing. So that's where the listeners here, once you've made those three lists, you need to start writing at that moment where you find something in connection with each other between all three lists or just two of them. And then pinpoint one moment in time. Because we're not going to write your whole thing. Just don't make it overwhelming. Pinpoint one moment in time. And I tell people, is it your when you were sitting at your grandmother's kitchen table and she was cooking fried chicken and that sort of thing, and then write about that and Mm -hmm. start, that's where you start, start there. Well, you know, I'm just summarizing for myself the thoughts that you're sharing. And what's interesting to me is you start with uh, relatively commonplace things, you know, Mm -hmm. where a person can just start to think about themselves and, and sort of get out of themselves and watch themselves a little bit in relatively commonplace. And then each one of those takes you deeper. I imagine when they're on Mm. 
at point 12 or 15 on things that changed my life, they're getting deeper. And then when you do yes. the, the last one, where you're really getting in a total level of intimacy with yourself, you're actually mm -hmm. getting closer to yourself in each one of those. So you start looking at yourself from a distance and you get more and more and hey, this is really who I am. You know, this is, right. uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of what you're saying. I'm being overly simple about it, but I think then you actually develop a context for yourself within yourself. Exactly. A lot of people go through life, you know, you go to work, you come home, you have dinner, you maybe watch a little TV or you do whatever chores around the house, you go to bed, you get back up, you go to work, same thing over and over again. And we don't take the time. That's why meditation is so good. You don't, we don't normally take the time in our Western world to stop and pause and look inside. And that's what this is doing. That's what writing is doing is helping you take a look inside at what your you know, true feelings are. And again, I'm going to bring that word clarity. You start to become very clear about yourself and the world around you. And that's, it's a beautiful thing. Well, I think the other thing is most reassuring about it, if you think about it, because knowing what's going on in the mental health field and people seeing the stigma that comes up with any kind of, I hear terrible stories. They are good stories, of course. There are a lot of people that love their therapists and feel like they made a good, good progress, but a lot of them feel like I went mm -hmm. there and I'm just paying a bunch of money and nothing happened. I didn't get any feedback. I didn't. And I think really what happens in that situation is that then sends a role of negativity. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to waste my money. I'm going to sit there. Right. I think part of the problem yeah. in that is my, you know, you don't know this about me, but I'm a recovering psychoanalyst. I think Freud in terms of seeking the unconscious and setting a, a profound sense of passivity on yeah. the therapist as a value system, you really must be passive, then uh, prevents the therapist from being a human being in a situation because he's somehow going to dismember the transference that's going to, in my opinion, exist anyway. No matter what you do, you're going to have transferential activity, but that's, I'm getting too deep for that. Right. But the bottom line here <laughs> is that therapists as a group have felt passivity is the right way to deal with a person because mm. then the person's going to find themselves through passivity. And what you're saying is what's really cool about this, in my opinion, what's really neat about it is the person discovers themselves very actively in yes. this process. It's a personal sense of self-discovery with a, a grid, a structure that you can tag these things on the wall and see who you are. So then when you get into whatever next thing, even if you're doing therapy, it'd be helpful for therapy because oh, yes. you can say, this is who I am. I already know that. Thank you. I'm glad right. you agree with me, but our, hey, you're going to disagree with you on that because that's not who I am. This is who I am. And this is what I, you know, and you have this whole sense of internal self-acclimation really where you know who you are. Yeah. And the, the thing too is otherwise you're, you're just kind of a boat floating around the sea and what happens in the world, what happens what other people say or do to you, what like you're just kind of floating. Mm -hmm. And when you do this, you can say, no, I have a rudder, I'm going to, or a motor, and I'm going to go from here to there. And you have the tools to do that. There's another professor, Adam Grant from Wharton, says that writing, expressive writing, that's what he calls it, expressive writing, helps people make sense of bad experiences. So when you, well, let me just tell you this, first of all, uh, or your listeners, you probably know this, when you have traumatic memories, 
those memories are stored in a different part of your brain than regular memories. Those memories hide from you a lot of times. So you're not sure, you're not aware that they're affecting what you do. They are. Mm -hmm. And then they can come back like a smell or a song or somebody says something and it's, they're triggered. And that's kind of what, in a very simplified manner, what kind of happens with PTSD. Yes. So when you write about those traumatic events, whether it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or yesterday, which I was writing, hey, this is what happened to me this week. It improves your health when you describe those facts and feelings together. You've got to write both of them, what happened and how you felt about it. And it helps you put together a coherent story. Like I said, you're, you're in brain fog a lot of times with chronic stress and your, your brain is trying to make sense, but it really doesn't. It's just hiding from you and because you got to get through the day, right? You got to, you have a job to do, et cetera. By putting these feelings into words, you start to yourself, you start to make sense of the negative events in your life. And I don't, I don't subscribe to the, you know, finding yourself and all that sort of thing. I mean, it sounds touchy feely in some sense, but really it's about discovering who you really are inside. And you don't really know until you write those, these things out. And then you, you get better insight and you get better perspective. And like sometimes you can even find silver linings from some of those bad things that have happened. Stace, this is such good information. I'm going to ask you a question. And we're going to take a break here. And I got a question that I'm going to ask you because I see this happen a lot with individuals who have been cocooned in a passive approach to life and ingratiating, super nice, uh, this is what I have to do in my life, who don't stand up for themselves. And then when they get into a certain measure of recovery, they still are lost because they still don't quite know what to do with it. And this is something I want to ask you about when we get back. Because I think that transition point from self-discovery with an improved self-esteem I think a challenge there is what do people actually do with that next in certain circumstances. So we come back, I'm going to ask you about that next provocative step in recovery after the self-discovery. So folks, we'll be back in just a moment. Today, the world of mind, science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professionals. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot. They get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules 
which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, we're back, folks, and this is Stacy Brookman, and she is she's this person. She's written this book, 35 Most Impactful Books to Escape and Recover from Emotional Abuse, and she has this Real Life Resilience podcast that she's actively involved in, and she's got a whole summit coming up, the Emotional Abuse Recovery and Resilience Summit, really soon here, probably in August is what she's shooting for. So, mm-hmm. Stace, when we stop there, I was asking about that next important step, because I think that next step is so much of what you and I see as a challenge for people who've been in the passive cocoon, who've been locked into misperceptions of the world and what they can do and what they can't do, because that next question has an imperative set of action steps with it, in sense. Like, how do you actually deal with these things? Once you know yourself, can we have a grid, an operational grid? Sorry, go ahead, please address that however you'd like to. Yeah. I don't know about an operational grid, although that's a good idea. I might have to develop that. (laughs) But (laughs) writing certainly helps you look back at your past life in order to make your future self wiser and more resilient. So the key here is to say, what lessons have I learned? The world has happened to me, right? Or I've operated in the world in this particular way. I don't like it. I didn't like that I was passive. I didn't like that I didn't raise my hand. What can you do from here on out? And so it is using your past in order to make your future self wiser and more resilient. And that's what I love about writing is you can write about how you want to be in the world. I want to be a professional, wise woman. I want to help other people. That's me. I want to help other people come through these traumatic type of relationships. And so you can envision and write down how you want to operate in the world. You get to decide that. Life doesn't just happen to you. You get to decide how you want, what friends you want. Maybe the friends that you have aren't really healthy for you. Maybe what you're eating or what you're doing with your life isn't healthy. You've been stuck in a relationship that isn't healthy and you get to choose. And that's when I said, pull the wool over your, away from your eyes It's there all the time that you get to choose, but you don't really realize it in the moment. And when you start to think, oh my gosh, I am in charge of my life. I am in charge of what I do in the next moment, in the next day. I can handle that. That's a beautiful thing. So I absolutely love that. And then you can, when you write about positive events, when you write about what you're grateful for, when you write, I mean, some people do have a gratitude journal. That also boosts your happiness, your healthiness. It makes those great, good events tangible for us. And so then you can move forward from there and even share your story. So that's a nice thing about moving forward. So what happens is you actually feel better about yourself and you wind up uh, managing boundary incursions better. One of the reasons I was asking it is because what I've seen is people do, and this is a general statement, and I think it's something that a person could write about effectively in terms of how envisioning that this thing happens with him again or anybody like that again, how do I handle that in the future? What are ways to handle that? Because I think what I've seen happen 
is people in recovery who've been in emotionally dependent relationships or in the helpless victim role, and they got stuck in being victims for a long period of time with a person who's a relative Lone Ranger hot dog who is uh, demeaning and uh, disrespectful. Mm -hmm. They need to figure out how to come out of it in some respectful manner because they can't be disingenuous with themselves by being disrespectful. They have to figure out what's that measure of respect and disrespect. How can I actually respectfully move forward and yet still have a clear demarcation of me versus them? Because I've seen people come out of it and they're like, okay, now I am the warrior goddess. I'm going to put a K-bar knife in my teeth. I'm walking (laughs) in the jungle. And any guy that says this to me again, I'm going to put the knife right up next to his throat. And I'm going to back off MF or whatever. You know, and this whole warrior dude thing, because the guy's been a dude with me, now I'm going to be a dude with him, which I think is so counterproductive. Counterproductive. It definitely is. I would say the majority of people don't go the opposite, do that. I would Mm -hmm. say the majority of people, unless they've done that internal work, go right back into another bad relationship. Mm -hmm. That's the most common because you haven't found your ground, your footing. Yeah yet. And I love it that you said boundaries. You mentioned boundaries and boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and and Dr. Townsend is an amazing book. I would recommend that book to anybody, whether you're in a bad relationship or not, or you've been in a bad relationship because boundaries are very healthy. Having those boundaries in the appropriate place and you can still let people in. You can still be a personable person. You can, and yet protect yourself. And that book talks about ways that you can do that. Mm -hmm. That sounds interesting. I'm and, not familiar um, with that book. So yes, I'm, I've always when you write and you can find yeah. what those boundaries are. Oh, it's mm-hmm. an amazing book. It's an amazing book for everybody, even people who have not been in a, an abusive relationship. It's really good. Well, it's good because anybody that's dealing with boundaries is dealing with intimacy and personal relationships because mm-hmm. one of the problems is it gets confusing when you're intimately involved with a person. And by intimacy, I didn't necessarily mean sexual intimacy. It could be intimate verbally. I mean, if somebody right. knows what you paid for your house, there's a certain level of intimacy there. If somebody knows what happened in your childhood, right. there's an intimacy there. So when you actually then are close with a person, there's a certain level of assumed mutual respect. Then when other realities supervene that then are in a different time zone, that's where you get into some of the things you were talking about previously about mm-hmm. which part of your brain is cooking on it and which part of your brain is not and how do you work your way out of it. So Exactly. Going back to that brain thing, when you put your feelings into words, and I mentioned uh, the clarity thing, you're actually activating that prefrontal region of your brain and you're mm-hmm. seeing a reduced response in the amygdala. And that's, you want to have that in, because that's where the executive function, that's where the things that self-control, that's what you're activating when you're writing. And so you are making wiser decisions, I think, in emotional intelligence. It helps you communicate your needs. It helps you understand what your needs are. It helps you communicate highly complex ideas more effectively. And it, it eliminates that it sounded good in my head. We all say mm-hmm. that. And you might have had something where you're like, man, I, I made that mistake before and I made it again. Why in the world did I do that? You know. Well, and I so, think apropos of that point, I see it happen and this is so, I'm so glad you stimulated my thinking in this review. We see it happen because executive function is a, a very important interest for me. And, and one of the things that happens with executive function in trauma 
is that the array is the prefrontal cortex is in a disarray yes. because it's trying to find boxes to put things and you can't put it in. I'm being overly simplistic about it, but this is what happens. And with the multiplicity of things going on, the person has an unmanageable cognitive abundance because they don't have boxes to put things in. So by writing, right. and I hadn't thought about this before, to tell you the truth, I've never interviewed anybody on writing and I don't know a thing about it. I really appreciate you coming on and telling us about it. <laughs> but what you're doing is putting grids in, in there that actually puts a working memory in place, a prefrontal cortex executive function that's going to change your timing in terms of what you do and how you do it and how you actually do the boundary things in a legitimate logical way as opposed to being in a disarray. I don't know what this boundary is. I'm not sure what I do here. What do I do there? Because you've actually found yourself and you have a much better uh, view of what you want to do in these right. You've actually practiced a little bit. Yeah. A lot of times you might have experienced this and some of your listeners might have too, where you have things happen to you and you're not sure what to do or you're, you're in stress. And so you end up not making a decision or not doing something about it. You let it go and you know you end up having more problems for yourself later on down the road. Mm -hmm. Well, writing helps you, you know, it kind of forces your hand. I've got to acknowledge that I have this decision. And that's why, oh, I can't remember the research, but you know, where you, you make decisions, you, you have a limited amount of decisions in a day. And that's why some really high powerful executives have the same clothes day after day after day, because they don't want to have to use up their decision-making skills. Well, writing helps you figure that out. And if you have a problem that you've had and it keeps recurring, like I've made two you know, marriage mistakes, you know, why do I keep marrying the wrong guy <laughs> in my life? Writing helps you acknowledge your part in it. What did I do to get myself into that? What did I accept that I shouldn't have accepted? It just helps you be very clear. And so you don't have to make those same mistakes again and again. So true. I think that's really, really good advice. I mean, this is very interesting. So I'm looking forward to uh, having a chance to talk with you again. I'd be, we could talk perhaps even after the summit because the, I think what's really cool about the summit, and I want to really appreciate, express my appreciation for you doing the summit, because I think the summits give a really focused opportunity for people to think about this particular problem that's so enormously pervasive because people live in a cloud. I do think that some of the intervention systems are less than they could be, the acceptable systems. So often people say, take an antidepressant for that. Hey, you need benzos. We see people coming in who are addicted to benzos. They've just been given benzos for so long. It could be Xanax four times a day, one milligram four times a day. It works. The problem with all of those is if the underlying problem is not addressed, there's a dissipation right. of the value of the psych meds, and then there's something else you got to try. No, maybe I could use a little cocaine, maybe a little pot, mix a little pot with my benzos, mm -hmm. and then you have a whole different, you know what I'm right. talking about. That's what we see. And I think the person, what's really frequently missed is exactly the topic that you're talking about, is the self, the clear self-assessment, the clear awareness of self, and a goal-setting prioritization by saying, I'm not going to do that again. Right. And having a clear idea, that's what I'm not going to do again, as opposed to, yeah. I don't know what to do. Here's another thing. The guy smells good and he looks good, you know. And <laughs> 
going down the road. Yeah. So. This, the, uh, the other thing is I've very much recommend therapy, go into a therapist or a counselor or something like that, who is trauma informed. You want to make sure you find one that's trauma informed. That's the key but point. Even before you do that. Yeah. During your, while the, at the time you're doing this, write your stories, write about the problems that you've had this week, write about, you know, the tough things that have happened in your life because writing is cheap. It's simple and it's accessible. You don't have to get a prescription for it. You don't have to go to a therapist. You can start right now. You can start today and start writing your stories. And it's very accessible to anybody. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on board here. You know, Stacey, it's been a great conversation. I do have to wind up, unfortunately. We're going to have a lot of... Stacy took the time, friends, to uh, give us some other... You know, she was dropping her. I was busy. You couldn't see me, but I'm writing these things down when she was right. <laughs> She was talking about them. I, I got some of them. The issue is she's given us another couple of books that are going to be on the show notes. She's got the podcast coming up. She's got her book that we're going to have there on the show notes. Let's wind up, Stace, with telling people how they, beyond all these variety of uh, really cool interventional opportunities that you're providing, how do they just get a hold of you personally? Well, how, how do they do that? Absolutely. Well, you can find just about on my website. All of the freebies, everything, the webinar, uh, the summit are on my website and that's stacybrookman.com, S-T-A-C-Y-B-R-O-O-K-M-A-N.com. You can find all that there. I'm on all the social media, Stacy underscore Brookman or Stacy Brookman. And um, I love connecting with people. I've discovered Instagram. So you can talk to me through Instagram or email me through my website either way. I got to get on that Instagram thing. I don't I have no idea how to do that. I mean, it's like I've got so many other. I just finally figured it out. Yeah. It's, it sounds like it sounds like you're on it. We'll have to talk about it sometime. But listen, thanks yes. again, Stace, for coming on board, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. I, I would like to rekindle this because it's a conversation that we need to have more often with people like you, who then may have another wrinkle, another piece to bring up. Please consider coming back on sometime. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for what you're doing in the world. I know this is incredibly beneficial for your listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you, Stace. So hang tight because I want to say something to you after we sign off here. Okay. All right. All right. You guys have a good day. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.